Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Assassin's Creed. Okay, I am Sebastian and I am here with Steve. Hello. All right, look at that. That's an Assassin's Creed toy he just held up to all those people who can't see anything on this audio podcast. And welcoming back to the show, Rodney. Hello, everyone. I'm holding up my <laughs> fidget cube that you can't see. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are here tonight, today, whenever you're listening to this podcast, we are here to discuss Assassin's Creed from 2016. I'm glad to have you guys on for this podcast because I know that uh, you're both video game enthusiasts. Uh, Steve, I know you play a lot of video games. Rodney, you actually work in the video game industry. So I imagine that this movie was probably a big deal to you. And the game Assassin's Creed probably shaped your whole realities. Steve, what is your history with the game Assassin's Creed? Well, I played the uh, Prince of Persia games, of which there were three. And at one point, that series was getting sale. So Ubisoft started the Assassin's Creed games, um, which took some of the parkour elements from the game. I never really played the first one. I've played a little bit of Assassin's Creed 2 um, and a little bit of Black Flag, which I believe is the fourth one. I played a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which would be like when they started going into the more large open world type of game that started with uh, Origins, which took place in Egypt, but um, Odyssey was in Greece. And now they have the new one that's the Scandinavia Viking invasion of England kind of historical time period. So I know the general story and like... Every video game movie that comes out, you know, when they started making video game movies, you're always like, this is the time they get it. This is going to be a good one. Um, and then I saw Assassin's Creed. Well, hold your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> Rodney, what is your history with the game Assassin's Creed? I am a big gamer, uh, as you said. But like, in general, the Assassin's Creed games have never really been for me. I, I remember when the first one came out, it was heavily marketed i think i rented a copy and i started playing it and i just like couldn't get into it as the best way to put it right i'm not a big fan of like stealth kind of games where you have to like stay in the shadows and like pull people into a doorway i like i just want to run around like with my sword hacking people up and those the assassin creed games are not for me in that way right like like what do you mean i gotta hide in hay fuck you right <laughs> um <laughs> But I did think it was an awesome idea. Like, I, I was not prepared for this whole, like, travel back in time storyline. So when part two came out, uh, I tried that one. I kind of had a similar experience. It was like, nope, this is still not for me. I tried Black Flag, like Steve said. Again, uh, I was just like, no, I just uh, I don't want to be a pirate, you know. But then 
my wife decided to play Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and she played the entire thing for like whatever, a hundred hours she sunk into it. And I watched a lot of it, so I'm most familiar with that one. But in general, I would say I'm not really like an Assassin's Creed fan or knowledgeable person, if that makes sense. Though I could yeah. probably I could name most of the video games in the series if I had to, you know. Well, let me ask you this, Steve. Were you excited and or interested in this movie when you saw that it was coming out back in 2016? Yeah, I mean, I saw it in the theater. I must have gone with some friends. You don't have to make up that you have friends, Steve. <laughs> you can just say, I went alone. There's no judgment here. I constantly go see movies and then like years down the line and be like, oh, talk about this movie. And then my friend's like, Steve, I saw that with you. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, too, have a lot of friends. I just want to point that out. I have many <laughs> friends, and, and sometimes I go to the movies with them, too. Did you see this when it came out, Rodney, or did you have any interest whatsoever? No. I My first time watching this was last night for this podcast. Wow. Oh, wow. I remember seeing the trailer and just having that gut reaction of, like, nah, something's wrong. I just wasn't in. And then the reviews came out, and I remember being like, nah, there's no need to see this. I actually thought the trailers were cool. I remember seeing the trailers and thinking like, huh, maybe this will be good. But then, like you're saying, I remember the reviews being like, nope, <laughs> put those hopes away. This isn't any good. See, I try to skip the reviews when I go in to see a movie like that, like this, or like some event movie. Like, I don't even want to hear someone thought it was good. Um, I just want to make my own opinion. So. I went to see it. I had already at that point uh, become a fan of uh, Michael Fassbender. Yeah. So that was a huge draw for me. And yeah, the trailer had all the cool scenes in it, unfortunately. I have no memory of feeling excited to go see this movie. Because there, like, there are movies I know are going to be bad, and the trailer excites me, and I can go see them anyway, right? But they're, like, if, if I did not see a video game adaptation in a theater, the only reason was I just couldn't have cared less when I saw the trailer. Well, another thing, too, was... This movie came out at a weird friggin' time because it came out at Christmas 2016. And, you know, we, mm -hmm. we'll talk about this a little later when we talk about why did it fail. But I think Christmas 2016 probably was not the time to put out an Assassin's Creed movie, at least not in Christmas. This is not yeah. what I would consider a Christmas movie. That was the Christmas that Santa Claus died. Because uh, Donald Trump got elected and killed Santa Claus. <laughs> it was one of his <laughs> first things he did in office. It, I, it breaks my heart to this day. Ever since, my parents have been pretending to be Santa Claus. I did not see this movie in the theater either. Uh, I ended up renting it and watching it and kind of just was like, huh, thought it was just sort of weird at the time. But then this podcast that I listened to, Blank Check, with like Griffin Newman um, and uh, David Sims, who writes for The Atlantic, they actually did a review of this because one of their co-hosts loves this movie and he, they did a review of it where they were sort of like, Assassin's Creed is kind of crazy and cool. And so it stoked my interest in it again. And I watched it again and sort of reevaluated it at that point. I do like Michael Fassbender a lot. He is something of a draw for me, although he's not really in that many good movies when it comes right down to it. It's like I'm always excited to see him, but then the movie is usually not that great, whatever movie he's in. But I like him as a presence. I think he would have been a pretty good James Bond had, like, say, Daniel Craig decided only to do two James Bonds or whatever. He would have been a good replacement for him, I think. 
But the reason why we're talking about this movie today, why it's so important for us to talk about it today, is because one of the actors in this movie, who doesn't have a very big part, but we recently lost uh, Michael K. Williams, who's an amazing actor, who if you've ever seen The Wire, he just completely steals that whole show, basically. He's also been in Boardwalk Empire, and he was recently in Lovecraft Country. And uh, the only other movie I could think of that was a bomb that he was in was the RoboCop remake, and nobody wanted to talk about that, so... Oh, wow. I have totally forgot about that movie. It's so bad. Dude, I'll come talk about RoboCop. I'll trash the shit out of that. Okay, well, I will hold you to that. We'll talk about it one of these days. But I thought this this would maybe be a more interesting conversation just because I know you guys are into video games and this is a weird fucking movie. I was excited to watch this, right? I like I knew the reviews were bad. It's one of those cases where I was like, I know this is going to be bad, but I'm curious how it will be bad because movies can be bad in different ways, right? Yeah. And I overall was like, I bet you I'm going to kind of like this. That's what I actually thought. I thought like, you know what? There's going to be some cool action scenes and like it's going to be stupid, but I'm going to be into this. And I was wrong. Uh-oh. <laughs> I got to say, um, I didn't really care for it too much leaving the theater when I saw it the first time, but after having watched it now twice and doing some research into the, the lore of Assassin's Creed, I was like, oh, and this is probably going to sound a lot like um, our Warcraft review. Uh -oh. be like, oh my God. <laughs> no, but, yeah. Let's get into it. Let's dive right in off of that cathedral into Assassin's Creed, shall we? Now... This movie has a lot of really kind of strange mythology that Steve just hinted at. The basic setup, and we get this in our typical scroll on the screen beforehand that we talk about all the time in these types of movies that deal with fantasy or sci-fi. We've got this group called the Templars. They've been around forever. They're looking for this thing called the Apple of Eden. Okay, you know, that sounds like something out of the Bible. It controls all thoughts, okay? And we're going to need to have a lot of discussion about this, what the fuck this apple does, because the movie tells you over and over and over what it fucking does, but it really doesn't ever show you what it does. Anyway, it controls all thoughts, and the assassins are the only thing standing in the way to stop them. And after we get this <laughs> scrawl, then we are introduced to Michael Fassbender as our protagonist in the world of 1492 where these Spanish assassins exist he is known as Aguilar and his best friend who is also an assassin is named Maria and they're taking some kind of oath or whatever to keep people from getting the apple or some shit <laughs> oh my god oh I feel so tired already talking about this I remember the movie started the words came on the screen and I went, uh-oh. And I was like, okay, whatever. There's, I get it. Like, we got to set some shit up. But then, like, the scene that – the first scene of the movie where they're, like, whatever, swearing in Aguilar and the woman. Yeah. They're just repeating all the information that was just up on screen. I, I was like, why am I seeing it twice? But also, I had no fucking clue what was going on. I was so confused by one minute in. And I was like, that's all right, Rod. It's cool. This movie is going to like, it's a mystery. It's going to make sense as we go along, right? Yeah. But I didn't feel good. That's the best way I can put it. I was just like, I don't like, I think this is a boring opening. Like, it's a fucking video game movie. <laughs> it should open with like assassins assassinating people. Not yeah. like 
standing around in some fucking church, like talking about some fucking artifact I've never heard of. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm really worked up about this movie. This is so bad. And which is not usually a detriment, but it's in subtitles, which to your point is like, I don't mind reading subtitles like when I go to see like a French movie or whatever. But when I'm seeing like what's supposed to be an action packed video game movie, starting off with subtitles is a little concerning. I want to give some credit there because I was like, oh, like they're trying to be authentic. They're yes. actually speaking in Spanish. They're going to do the subtitles. It's like I'm in, but I also was like, I don't feel like this is the right choice. This this is a fucking Ubisoft video game. Give me just fucking say it in English, man. I was wondering why, um, what the device that made him bleed or that did it like shove spikes through his hand. Uh, could you guys figure that out? Isn't it just his gauntlet with the blades in it? Like his signature weapon or whatever? I thought it punctured his hands. That's why he was bleeding. I think it cut his finger off. Really? I don't know what the device is. I, it look kind of looked like the, the the codex from the Da Vinci Code. Yes, yes, the um, the spinny thing that actually says Apple and stuff on it. Right. It just looks like like a, whatever, like a like a fucking hidden thing, and like you see them like put this thing around his finger. Yeah. And then they right. push it down, and I remember thinking, are they going to be cool enough to show me his severed finger? And as they're putting his like gauntlet on, if you look, there's a missing finger. There is. Oh, okay. I mean. I'm 90% on this. I don't understand why any society would be like, you know what? You're going to need to be in peak physical condition. We're going to like cripple you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you swear to be the most badass assassin ever and do the most important thing in the world? Good. Cause we're going to cut off one of your fingers. From my understanding, um, all the people were already part of the assassins creed or guild. And he was being finally initiated as, as a full-time member. Okay. Um, right then and there. They're setting up what the story of this 1492 Spain shit. It's going to be something to do with this prince. They've got to rescue the prince so that the sultan won't give over the apple. We'll just say that right now sure. so that we have an understanding of what's going on in this part of the movie. Because the movie is like in two halves. There's like the yes. 1492 shit and there's the present day shit. Exactly. Right. And I feel like to try to understand this movie, you have to put those two things together in your head first like and be like okay this is what they're doing in 1492 this is what they're doing in present day and then it gets a little easier to to understand but the first time you go through this movie it is fucking impossible and you get completely <laughs> lost and it just becomes utterly meaningless could you not tell when they were in 1492 versus the present i didn't I couldn't tell <laughs> i thought they made that pretty clear but i could tell that they were in 1492, the year Columbus sailed the ocean blue, which actually comes right. into play. My wife said that too, and I was like, oh God, please don't tell me this is going to have Christopher Columbus in it. It does. I won't say it, it does. Okay. After this, we are transported not into modern day, but like sometime in the 80s. And we are transported there via the wings of a hawk or an eagle. What is the bird, uh, Steve? You must know this. I'm not sure whether it's a hawk or eagle, but it is a thing in the game. You get this aerial view where the camera goes into like the bird's eye view, and then you can like scope the lay of the land. And they constantly use this in the movie as sort of a uh, the establishing shots yeah. and whatnot. Is he supposed to be able to see through the eyes of the eagle or in no? the game? You can. That's okay. what it is. But in the it's a video game conceit. There's some like mysticism in this movie, but I don't think it's applying here. 
Right. They're just using it as a visual. Exactly. It's like a wink to the video game fans. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. I kept expecting it to matter like Beastmaster and Beastmaster. He can see right. through the eyes of the eagle, which would have been fucking cool in this movie, but they don't do it. It's just an eagle, man. Relax. It's just an eagle. Sometimes an eagle's just an eagle. But I mean, the eagle is there in the past and the future. Anyway, never mind. Who cares? Now, I did want to point out that the song that starts playing, like as we're in that aerial shot with the eagle, is by a band I love, Black Angels. It's a totally like cool, psychedelic, garagey song. Like when that started playing, I was like, all right, the music choices in this are going to be fucking good. But that's the best that it gets, unfortunately. At first, when you see her, like, oh my God, they're trying to do this modern rock thing. But then you realize you're going into the, the semi present. Yeah. Or further in time. This band, are they from like Montreal? Or, or... No, no, no. They're from Austin, Texas. Okay. They're kind of part of this scene that I really like that happened in Austin around the mid 2000s. It's kind of like psych rock mixed with some like stoner rock. Like uh, this band, The Sword, also comes from that scene, which I really like. Rodney's making a face right now, like fucking lame ass psych bands that Sebastian's into. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you one thing, Rodney. Black Angels are cool and you should check out their music. And this song is cool. But what's not so cool is this dumb fucking scene because we're just seeing Cal as a kid, like, I don't know, jumping on rooftops with his motocross bike or whatever. It's actually a, a thing, the sort of um, bike parkour where people traverse things just using the wheels of their bike and whatnot. Yeah, S Sebastian, it's called Bicor. That's actually kind of cool. For some reason, he's jumping along rooftops, and I don't know where they're supposed to be. Are they in Mexico or something? I think it was, um, yeah, maybe it was New Mexico or somewhere in Texas, actually. I think it said, some like, New Mexico. Right. It, it, there's, a, there's definitely a title card that says, like, state year. <laughs> no, no, it's Baja something. Was it? Okay, whatever. It's not. It's so not important at all. He ends up in prison in Texas, but that's a different. That's later on, somewhere in the southwest. So he comes running into his house and he sees his mom lying there dead, clutching this necklace with a little pendant on it. We don't know what that means. And then we see his dad, who's now like wearing this hood or whatever, and he turns to him and he says something ominous, like, uh, "What does he say?" Basically, every other line in this movie is something along the lines of, like, our destinies are woven into the fabric of fate and the apple connects it all. <laughs> Things like that. Or the Templars will come at all costs and they must be broken by the Brotherhood, you know? And you're like... It's definitely something along the lines of the second thing you just said. It's this sort of cryptic thing, like, you have to go now for they are coming or whatever, something like that. Oh, right. And then all the black Jeeps are like pulling up outside. And that's when we see um, Jeremy Irons is sitting in one of the cars. Yeah, it's like yes. Riken or something. I, I, I can't right, remember. Yeah, Dr. Alan Riken. And then um, Cal Lynch's father, Joseph, tells Cal to run, um, which he does um, over the rooftops. All this does is set up our sort of tragic hero backstory that mother seemingly was killed by father. And this is what's going to turn him into such a such a hardened criminal that 30 years later, we now find him on death row. Right. And now it's 
grown up Michael Fassbender. Now, were either of you guys sort of uncomfortably reminded of Terminator Salvation's beginning with this? It's like almost the same beginning, like this guy on death row and then like this mysterious woman shows up and is like, we're going to need you for something. That's been in other movies, too, like Point of No Return. No, the um, the lethal injection and then ending up in a secret government facility is is kind of a normal thing now that happens all the time in movies but i completely um have wiped salvation from my memory so you're gonna have to jog it violently yeah i i forgot everything about salvation as way but now uh, now that you say it yes that also starts with the dude being executed and then yes finding out he wasn't executed and a mysterious woman is behind it so yeah we meet michael fassbender and he's like in his cell and like you know all he does is like make these like charcoal drawings of creepy faces and shit Dude, I had no idea why he's being executed. Like, I was under the assumption in, at this point in the movie that, like, they finally caught him and blamed his mother's death on him. And they, like, it just took a long time for 30 his years? You know, yeah. I mean, they <laughs> They're just... charging a guy who was 12 years old when his mother <laughs> died with an execution 30 years later. I wasn't thinking about it too hard, but I was like, you showed me his mother murdered. You show me him running away. Now you show me him in jail. I assume this is related. Wrong. Foolish, Rodney. And so they take him in and they strap him to the like the lethal injection chair. And this scene made me like really uncomfortable because like it felt very real, you know, like Michael Fassbender's laying there and he's like shaking and like he's getting like teary eyed. He's like, I'm about to die. And I was like, this is like way too heavy for a fucking PG-13 video game adaptation. But I also applaud them for going there. He's giving it his all out of out of everyone. He's 100% giving real performances the entire movie. No, I will say in this scene, he's giving it all. I think the rest of the movie, he's barely there. Mm, I think there's a few things we'll have to mention. We should say that the director is Justin Kurzel, who's somebody I've never heard of, you've never heard of, none of us have ever heard of. I actually saw his Macbeth that he did with Michael Fassbender, which is why I think he got this job. It was okay. It had the same sort of atmosphere that this movie has. Oh, was that the one that was famous for you not being able to hear what anyone was saying? Yes. I think we have to talk very briefly mention that not only did the director work on that Macbeth movie, but Marion Cotillard was also in that. Yeah, she's Lady Macbeth in it. That's right. Yep. And it's the same writer or one of the same writers. It's like a whole bunch of people made Macbeth and we're like, let's just do it again with Assassin's Creed. You in? And they all said, yeah. And then they got the script and they're like, we should also have someone rewrite this. Yeah. It's kind of like they tried to make it Macbeth, honestly. Yeah. They tried to give it this Shakespearean gravitas. And did it work? Uh, probably not. But I will say this about Michael Fassbender in the movie. He is a producer on the movie. It's my understanding that he was very invested in this becoming like his franchise. Like this would be the thing he'd go back to every few years and make another Assassin's Creed movie to pay for his new mansion or whatever. And uh, that didn't work out for him, sadly. So but I do feel like he is kind Poor of guy. giving it his all in that way where he's committed to this like idea. I think he's the best performer in the movie. I'll say that. He's not bad. There are times, though, where he's like, I don't know. Compared to the other performances, he is doing very good work in this movie. I'll say that. And one thing, when he's being executed, he's like, tell my father I'll see him in hell or whatever. Who's going to tell your father that? Yeah. <laughs> sir, I don't, I don't think you know how this works. Yeah, sorry, dude. I'm not passing on any messages to your dad. Do you have an address or an email or... <laughs> 
I hid his address in the charcoal drawings in my cell. Now, listen, <laughs> let me just put it out there right now, okay? I'm going to make fun of this movie a lot, and I am definitely not going to deny that it is bad on a very profound level. However, I have come to enjoy this movie as just kind of eye candy nonsense. Shocking. Sebastian... You watched a movie so many times that you started to like it. How surprising is this? There's some good shit in here. It is visually, it looks good. Like the cinematography and everything is pretty good. Yeah, I'll give it that. Production design and everything is all yep. solid. Yeah, all the shots are really good looking. Um, and the action scenes um, or the, the major set pieces are actually really nice. So Cal wakes up. Now he's in this lab facility, which is kind of cool because it's like partially it has that sort of modern movie lab look where it kind of looks a little too much like an Apple store for my liking. But then there's these other sections of the lab that seem to be like built into some sort of more ancient structure. And we're going to find out that this is in um, Madrid and we are in this uh, foundation called the Abstergo Foundation, which I have mm -hmm. to believe comes from the games, right? It's from the games. That's from all the games. No screenwriter would call anything Abstergo. I mostly kind of hated the design of the lab. Sorry. Like, I liked I liked that it was, like, built into this old building. But, like, I don't know. It, all the cells just looked really lame. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to complain too much. But it, I just I wasn't into it. I mean, it's just some... Um modern three billion dollar budget annually to this uh dr reichen for this facility like if it existed in like real life it'd be pretty cool architecturally and the interior is kind of nice but the the controversy i think at the time with this movie was the animus yeah the way it's portrayed in the movie versus the game in the game it's just like a a bed or a chair you sit in it's like a it's not even a cat scan or mri it's just like you see it, and in the movie, it's this giant claw. What's that on a crane? So first of all, Sebastian, are you aware? Because I know you're not a gamer. That in the Assassin's Creed games, they're all this idea of you go to the Abstergo Foundation and they like send you back in time. I had a vague knowledge of that. Yeah, that it, that was like something to do with like you know genetic memories or whatever. Right. It's basically like this machine supposedly, which they explain in the movie, lets you relive the memories of your. Yes. Not de uh, not descendants, your forefathers. Your, your, your ancestors. Ancestors, that's the word. Thank you. <laughs> so on the one hand, I really wanted to approach this movie from a I'm not going to compare it to the game idea, right? So when you see the machine in this movie, which again is a crucial piece of the Assassin's Creed world and it has to be in the movie, I was like, it's weird that they didn't go with a chair, right? Because like... You're, again, this is a case of you're making a movie for Assassin's Creed fans. You should probably make this machine the way, the way it look like the way it does in the games. But I'm willing. You want to go in a different direction? That's fine. Having said that, I think this machine is the dumbest machine I've ever seen in a movie. Okay, I'm going to totally disagree with you because I think that the there's a very clear and obvious reason why they redesigned it to not just be a boring fucking chair or a table you lie down on because that's not fucking cinematic like this way they can put michael fassbender in this crazy crane and have him moving up and down and, and doing the actions that he's doing 
in the past and you can actually see it. Oh my God. What you're saying is so fucking nonsense. First of all, let me point to the matrix as a perfect example of a movie, a cinematic movie where people lay in a, right. So you should just do exactly that again, because no one will have any complaints about that. If you just rip off the matrix, you know how we're making this, like don't do anything new. Just do what they did. This $150 million movie based on our beloved game franchise that's brought us all this money and has all these fans. Why don't we just change everything? Oh, well, so you're saying all the video game fans were like, I want the chair. He yeah. sits in a chair. Why isn't he in the chair? Oh, my God. All right, look, I don't. <laughs> Who gives a shit about the chair? The dumbest fucking thing in this movie is the machine. No, it's cool. No, and I'm going to explain why. All right. Unless we're going to be talking about this machine a lot. I don't just rant about it. But the whole point of the machine is for Michael Fassbender to like go back to 1492 and for me to just watch old Michael Fassbender, whatever his that character, Aguilar, do action scenes. It totally ruins the fucking action to keep cutting back to current Michael Fassbender on like a like a weird wonky machine flipping around matching what he's doing in the past that's so dumb it's so dumb to watch because i'm not watching him do it i'm watching him just like be a puppet for a machine they only cut back to him a couple of times they don't cut back to him all a the couple time. of times they they do it a lot in they the, in the most obtrusive ways during the action scenes yes and, and to correct you on the matrix total recall did that chair thing Way before that. Yep. Um, and we were completely fine with that. That's all the more reason to try to do something unique and different. Why do the same thing some other movie did? I mean, I see how what you're saying about making it more exciting cinematically and for the editor to do the, the cuts where it's matching up the info. But you saw Reminences, right? Yes. So that's that's another a case where it should just be a bed that you lie on with a headset on. But no, it's a... It's a wet bath, and then there's this, like, string 3D, like, lattice thing so people can visualize in 3D the whatever the memories are of um, Hugh Jackman's victims. Like I don't have problems with this. That's overkill. Very cool looking, but again... Yeah, because when I go to see a movie, I want to see something cool looking. Exactly. That's why I'm watching a movie, is because I want it to look cool. And I think it looks pretty cool. I agree when they keep cutting back to it and they interrupt the flow of the action, that's a problem. But that's an editing thing. That's not about the design of the, the animus. Yeah, it, it's it's all connected, man. It's all connected, man. <laughs> I don't agree with you guys on this. And maybe it's because I'm not a video game player, but it does not bother me at all. You think it's awesome watching Michael Fassbender be like flung around a room and kicking holograms. I think sometimes it's kind of cool. I think sometimes it's kind of cool like when he falls down like a long fall and then we see him in the animus and the animus like almost hits the ground or whatever. There are moments when I think it is a cool effect to have him mimicking these movements on this machine. Not all the time. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it's too much. But I think visually, I understand why they made the choice. And it's much more interesting to look at than him on a fucking table or a chair. Here's my point. He plays the dude in 1492. Right. So I'm already looking at him. You don't need to keep cutting back to him onto a table. Just fucking take me into 1492. There are other things that happen, though, later where they're like he sees visions of different people and stuff. They incorporate oh my God. it into the story. Okay. 
All right. Hey, man, you like that? You like we're it. just going to have to agree to disagree here. I disagree to disagree. I don't disagree. I do not disagree. I'm just saying it's it's overkill. I don't think it's like the coolest thing in the world. I'm not like, oh, man, I love that animus. I'm not going to get an animus tattoo on my back or anything. I just think, yeah, it's better than a table. That's all I'm saying. I'm suggesting a tastefully designed chair. So he wakes up in this foundation and they're plugging him into this animus so they can send him back through time through this process called regression, where he sort of somehow taps into his DNA ancestry to inhabit this character of Aguilar, his ancestor. Now, one thing that does bother me is like the whole point of plugging him into this is just so they can see what he sees, which is another reason why you have it be this crane and not just a table, because they actually need to see what he's seeing. That's the whole point. But one thing I kind of find aggravating is that he can't affect anything. Yeah. All he can do is act out what's happening. That is my number one problem with this movie. Number one, top of the list. Right. But it's it's just a conceit of the game and something like that. He cannot. It's not like a time travel like a sure. quantum leap kind of thing. It's basically reading a book, but it's through his DNA. I find that weird and undramatic and I, I get it. But in the game, you're actually doing stuff because you're playing right. the character. Right. But it's understood that everything you're doing is as it happens. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it's very unsatisfying in movie form, right? There's multiple problems with this, this whole thing. One is he cannot affect any change. Two He's not doing the shit in the past. He's just literally, as I said, reliving it. Yeah. There's also no real explanation for like how the machine works or what it does. I know that there's like a brief scene where Marion Cotillard says that, but like in the matrix, they're like, we'll plug you in and we're going to teach you some shit. Right. In the video games, it, when you die, or you take damage. It's called like falling out of sync. Right. And the, the idea is when you die, you're like sent back to the present right that explains one thing about the movie i did not understand they should just have a fucking training montage in this movie where they're like you have to learn how to get in sync with your your ancestor learn to walk in his shoes learn to do jumping so that like we're watching him like guys the matrix was a hit for a reason just copy it just fucking copy it and change some shit i need to see him learn to do a jump instead what you watch is michael fassbender gets into a machine and from that moment forward Present Michael Fassbender does nothing. Yes. And old Michael Fassbender in the past, where I'm just watching shit that already happened. It's a definitely a big problem. And in, in whenever you write a story, the first thing that anybody who ever helps you write stories will tell you is that your character needs to be active. And what this does is it makes him a passive character in the present. Mm -hmm. And that's a frustrating thing for most viewers. Most viewers want to see characters be active be affecting change in their environment so i think dramatically it's a big problem with the movie but i don't i think it so much is because we are eventually going to get that and this is a sort of precursor to him as you learn later the because of the bleeding effect by being our um, aguilar in the past he's absorbing the skill set of aguilar by being in the animus yeah that addresses the whole training thing but Later on, the big choice that he has to make is that he has to go in willingly. That's the way they try to, like, work that dramatically. They're like, well, all these other times he's not going in willingly. And then so finally he's like, I want to go in this time. And that's when, like, the whole plot sort of changes because he's 
being active, supposedly. Can we talk about Marion Cotillard as the, as the scientist? She's like, so Jeremy Irons is like what? He's like, he runs this joint, but she's like his daughter and like lead researcher. She, she's the head scientist. And she built the machine or came up with it, something like that? It's her life's work. Okay. I think she's really terrible. I think she's really terrible in this movie. I think she's being very Marion Cotillard. You can take that however you want. Um, I think she's kind of a weirdo is what I think. I think (laughs) she's a weirdo in real life. Like I think I've read some stuff like she's got some pretty out there beliefs. Like she might have thought that she was in a a biopic in this or something. (laughs) (laughs) She's just got a weird presence. I agree with you. She's definitely not good in the movie. But she kind of is the same as she is in Inception or yeah. Batman, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, you're totally right. She is the she's the same. It was somehow slightly worse in this, and I don't know why. She has she won Best Actress. I guess we just haven't watched that movie. Maybe she's great when she's in like speaking in French. But La Vie en Rose. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, I haven't seen it. No. Well. <laughs> no, I mean, just you have these, uh, you know, English as a second language people and they're perfectly fine of course but um yeah you know it's like oh you haven't seen the uh heard shakespeare until you've heard it in the original like klingon like you know it's yeah <laughs> probably better in her own language who knows did you say you haven't heard it you haven't heard shakespeare until you heard it in the original klingon that's a quote from uh star trek six that's, that's great I... <laughs> she was pretty good as lady Macbeth in the Macbeth, so I'll, I'll be more fair to her i just think it's funny that when I think about, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Rodney, that she's kind of bad in this. But when I think about it, I'm like, but she's kind of like that in every movie I've seen her in. Yeah. So, yeah, she's weird. And it's her character is strange. Like she's constantly sort of questioning what she's doing or what her father's doing. You know, I guess we're supposed to think that her and Michael Fassbender have some sort of emotional exchange (laughs) at some point and that maybe she changes her mind. But at the end of the movie, she seems to change it back. It's like tracking her character is next to impossible. This movie has no characters. This movie has people in it, but there are no characters. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. There, I mean, I don't really get a sense of who Cal is or Aguilar or, you know, anybody. I have never seen a movie that has no characters in it with no backstory or wants or desires. Like the story of Cal is he literally went to prison for something. He got executed, woke up in this chamber and now they're like, fucking go in the past, bro. And he has one line where he says, like, I killed a pimp as though that just sort of explains it all. But I'm like. Who are you? What do you want? How is this a story of this experience changing him? How does he go from like whatever, a meek, passive character to like, I'm going to go into the Animus and, or the Animus, however you say, and I'm going to fucking. He's not a meek character. He was in a gang. He killed this pimp, sent to prison. And at the end of it, he's basically followed the, the legacy of his um, bloodline and just gone full on. Aguilar spoke to me. I'm going to be a freaking assassin now. And that's the end of the movie. You've described the events of the movie, but that's not even a character arc. And I didn't say he was meek. I'm saying it'd be better if he was. Well, I'm not a writer. So, you know, don't ask me to write, uh, you know, a thrilling (laughs) character story. I'm just saying what I saw. (laughs) Right. I, I guess what I'm saying is like, if the whole point is that, you know, by the end of the movie, he's supposed to like, be like, I'm going to lead the brotherhood. I'm an assassin. I'm going to fight for a purpose. 
then I'd love a movie that starts with him being the opposite of that. So he's like, I have no point in life, right? Like I'm on my own. I've always been on my own because then it means something when he starts like working with the other assassins and shit. So he should have been like um, a drifter. And then they, do they pick him up off uh, the street off of uh, like a soup kitchen or something? That would have worked for me. Sure. I just want there to be a fucking character arc. I can kind of pinpoint where that goes wrong. Please. Because I know you've seen it 30 times. Well, because like the thing that Steve is describing would actually be effective if he was this sort of lost person who didn't have a purpose and then ended up finding his purpose and becoming this assassin. The problem is, is that the movie is so preoccupied with this notion of like violence and what violence means and how like this is the code to violence or whatever. This movie introduces a whole bunch of like, this is the code for freedom. This is the code for free thought. Like this fucking apple has the genetic code in it to like, at one point, what do they say? They say like, it contains the genetic code to free will, like whatever the fuck that means. I remember them saying that and thinking, this is so dumb. I have to just let it go. Like, I, like, Sure. No, like if you tell me that, then fine. It has. That's what it has. Fine. That's what it does. But the problem is because they're so fixated on this one idea that they have about like violence, he's got to be this already violent person. You know what I mean? Like, so he's already had to have killed somebody. And so like we're introduced to his character and he's being like executed for murder. And we're like, fuck this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's probably terrible. You don't get a sense that there is any sort of arc because he goes from being a killer to being a killer with a purpose, I guess. That's his big arc. Right. And then the whatever Aguilar, the past version of him, has even less character. Like, he is not a character. He's just, like, bearded Michael Fassbender in a hood. He's got a cool face tattoo, though. Well, let's get into that, because the first flashback we go into, 1492 Spain, we fly in with the eagle again, and then we're on this cliff, and Aguilar and Maria, who is played by an actress uh, named uh, Ariane Lebed, never seen her before or since, but I don't know, they're like a team or whatever, and they've got to go rescue Prince Ahmed, who's been kidnapped by the Templars, so they kind of go into this. It's a village. Yeah, it's like and a the, shitty village. The, the army of the church, they go in, grab the kid, and then the, the villager, the, the guy's like, all right, who hid this kid? Come forward. And then this one guy says, I'm the only one that was involved in hiding the kid. Right. So then the Black Knight's like, okay, get this guy's family and kill them in front of him and then burn the entire village. At which point, all the assassins that are present from the, the intro in the beginning are creeping up around and walking through the crowd to get close to people like you do in the game. And then... They start killing everyone. Yeah, I will say, like, just falling under, like, the production values, it, it looks good. Like, I remember in this part thinking, that looks like a, the village looks good. These costumes are cool. People have, like, a dirtiness to them that feels authentic. So, like, I was into it at this point. I was, like, I'm confused. But as soon as, I was, like, as soon as we go back to the past, this movie's going to take off. Once we actually get to some fucking assassin shit, I'm in. And it's a shame where it goes but at this moment i remember being into the movie i like pretty much all of the stuff more or less that takes place in the past i like the look of it i love their assassins costumes with the hoods they're very cool i love all their their cool weapons even though it makes no sense that they can have projectile grappling hooks like batman and shit 
pretty sure that that wasn't uh, around in the 15th century or whatever, but... I don't know. The um, Arab technology, like that civilization goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm not a historian. Your ignorance is showing. My <laughs> ignorance is showing. I apologize to the Assassin's Creed and the Knights Templar. You know, we should say that there's sort of a big Spanish Inquisition thing going on. This is what was going on in Spain at the time. So we get a lot of like, there's this one sort of priest or whatever, head inquisitor. Torquemada, I think he's an actual historical figure. Again, to Rodney's point, though, there are a bunch of these characters that don't get any real sort of explanation or introduction like that guy, like the Black Knight that you were talking about. Like, I just had him in here as big dude. Main past bad guy? Yes. These characters have no character to them. They don't even seem to have names. Or if they do, they go by so fast, you don't even register them. Even if there's just a line like, who's that? Oh, he's the Templar known for killing the most assassins. He's the most feared killer of assassins of them all. And I'd be like, okay, that's something. He's literally just like an angry dude. He might just be angry dude one. Are these characters that are from the game? No, none of these characters are, I think, other than the organizations they represent are actually in the games. Except for after this movie in 2017, they made a, a mobile game that pulled characters from all the games, including Maria and Aguilar as um, characters you could play. Wait a minute. Aguilar is not even a fucking character in the game? No, dude. Everything in this movie is made up whole cloth. The only thing this movie has in common with the video games is the Animus and the Abstergo Foundation. Oh, and the the Apple of Eden. The Apple of Eden, I'm sorry. And the general, like, Templar versus Assassins. Wait, so I don't get to play Cal and Lynch in the game? No, bro. No. No, bro. You play a guy named Desmond. What? Oh, man. Now I'm pissed. I figured... That that's why we weren't getting that much from the characters because they were like, oh, they people don't need character development in this movie. They all know the game. They know the story of Aguilar and Maria and their love that never dies or whatever. But you're telling me they don't even exist in the game. The conversation was like, so I don't really want to use the characters in the game. I think we should make new characters. And someone said, I, I love this idea. Who are the new characters? And they're like, well, there's like good guy and scientist girl and angry black knight dude and like okay so what's her story like i just told you i mean for a long point during the movie i thought that the the security guard was the black knight exactly the same actor but it's not the case i thought that too this turns into a big action scene where there's a cool fight and then there's a horse cart chase where the kid is in like this cage in the horse cart and so aguilar and maria have got to go after the the horse cart on their own horses and we get a cool fight and it ends with Aguilar grabbing the kid out of the cage, and then the cage cart goes off the side of a cliff, but he's got a grappling hook gun in his gauntlet or whatever, and he shoots it and then hangs off the cliff, and then the Black Knight, who doesn't have a name we remember, comes over and like looks down and sees them hanging there. This is where things got confusing for me, because then we like go back to present day, right? Is there a reason why we're ending this here now? Okay, two things. One is the reason um, that Sophia, um, Kurt Marion's character, stops it is because um, I think he bangs against the ground and she doesn't want him hurt. The stupid thing is, if Maria had not disconnected the cart from the horses, they would have not gone off the cliff at all because the horses are smart. Yeah. They keep onto the road. They could have escaped in the cart 
with the horses had she not disconnected it at that point in time. Yeah. I think it's implied that like they dangle from the cliff and you don't actually see what happens to them, right? Because it cuts back to present day and they turn the machine off. Yes. And they're like, get him out of there. He's the, the machine is fucking him up. But I think the implication is that back in the past, the Black Knight like pulled them up and, and arrested them. Sure. Right. Of course. Yes. Okay. Because the next time we see them, they're in jail waiting to be executed. Right. Now we're back in modern times and Cal and Marion Cotillar, Sophia, you know, she explains to him the animus and everything. And, and like, and he's seeing visions of Aguilar in his cell or whatever. And like, she comes in and it like explains it to him, but he like grabs her by the throat and is like holding her against the cell as she explains it to him. So and dumb. that's when she starts talking about like his aggression and she brings him into this room and shows him that she's got all the news stories that have ever been written about him since he was a little kid and everything. Oh, that's right. It's all about this aggression and anger and how this all sort of feeds into it. And like when his mom was assassinated, he turned to violence. And then we find out her mom was also assassinated, but like she turned to science and worse. I'm assuming like her mom was assassinated by one of the assassins or whatever, but I don't know what we're told here is this apple, this MacGuffin that they need to get holds the key to violence and it will eradicate violence or something or aggression. It's going to do two things. It's, it's basically like going to remove all free will from everyone on the planet. And without free will, there will be no violence. And I assume the Templars who are the bad guys will like be able to control people. Like that's the implication and yes. I'm sitting there and I remember in this moment being like, one, maybe you should have explained what that fucking machine did before you put him in it for the first time, you fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> two, what the, what the fuck are you talking about? It's going to eliminate free will. How can you even just remotely attempt to explain it? Even just like Michael Fassbender should say, uh, sorry, what? <laughs> like, what, how would that work? And then she'd have an answer in this movie it might as well just pause and the director should just show up and look you right in like right, right into the camera and say, fuck you. I'm never explaining this <laughs> and then resume the movie. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stuff glossed over here. It's actually kind of highbrow stuff like uh, Sophia says, like, oh, we found um, a mutation in your MAOA gene, which I didn't really know what it was. But apparently it's the the warrior gene, which is found in the X chromosome. It's. When it gets altered in any way, it causes all sorts of um, disorders, um, medical, bipolar, Alzheimer's, like just a bunch of stuff. So I thought it was interesting. And I think her understanding was that the apple could genetically cure or fix the mutation in this gene, whereas Dr. Ricken understands it that it's to control free will. There's no reason for you guys, anyone should know this. Just watching the movie, but the Apple of Eden is one of these pieces of Eden, which is like an artifact of this pre-human godlike civilization of humanoids called the Isu. They created the humans and then subjugated them with the pieces of Eden. And the Apple of Eden is one of these items. Um, gotcha. This is why the humans now want it. The Isu were almost completely wiped out um, and the human race as well in a huge cataclysm. And then the remaining humans that lived, they, there were still some of these artifacts and legends the, the artifacts remained and the game the point of the game is the templars and the brotherhood 
each trying to gain the upper hand by getting these items. Sure, I get that. Yeah, I thought I thought that I thought that was very clear in the movie. Well, yeah, no, I didn't get all the backstory, <laughs> but I did. I did get that they both were trying to get it. Like I figured all that out. The problem is people are telling you this is what the apple does. This is what it's going to do. It's going to get rid of aggression. It's going to get rid of free will. We never see how this would work. So what? any normal screenwriter would do would say, okay, the Templars have found a tiny little piece of the apple, a bite of the apple, and then they could show you, here's some guy who's like a psycho killer, and we now put this little piece of the apple near him or whatever, have him touch it or whatever, and now suddenly he's docile and can't even hurt a mouse. If we could see how this thing is going to fucking work, even if it's dumb, even if it's magical nonsense then at least we have some idea of what's at stake. The problem is they're talking about a fucking apple. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. It's going to do that. What does that mean? What is the practical reality of that? Like Rodney was saying, there needed to be some way to demonstrate what it was going to do. I do not disagree. All right, guys, thanks for coming. (laughs) (laughs) Had a blast. So we're like 20 minutes into the movie. Around 43 minutes, I paused because I had to like go get a drink or whatever. And I remember looking at the runtime being like, we're 43 minutes into the movie, and I don't know what the plot is. I don't know what's happening. Like, how is that possible? Probably because you were hungry. Cal goes into the cafeteria, and um, we have a nice scene here with the recently passed Michael K. Williams playing the character of Musa. Now, we saw him earlier when Cal first arrived at the uh, Institute or whatever. He tried to run away and he ran into this room that had a window, like an outdoor sort of kind of garden in it. And he almost jumped out the window and Musa stopped him. Here they have a little conversation. He jokes like, oh, uh, we recommend the chicken or whatever. And then a waitress comes over and says exactly what he just said. And he reveals that he was once a, a assassin himself, a voodoo poisoner named Baptiste. But he clearly thinks that Cal is something special, so he's sort of keeping an eye on him. But the important thing that we learn here is that basically this institute is full of other assassins who have all been used by the Animus to get whatever things that the Templars want. And then once they're done, they're just kind of like kept in the Institute. And later on, like Musa's even going to be like, hey, can I go to Marion Cotard? And she's like, uh, no, because she's she's been saying like, oh, once we get what we need, then you can go. And of course, they can't actually go. So immediately, you know that this Institute is bad. And this is another thing that I find a little bit tiresome in these types of movies is like, is there ever a moment you don't think that this is a bad place right. that, are, that they're doing bad things? Like you're never like, hmm, maybe they'll turn out to be good. Like, no, you never think that. And they don't, they turn out to be bad. There's just no tension at all in it. You're just like, yeah, they're evil. They're being manipulated and used for evil purposes. The end. I had no idea like why all these people are there like i understand they used to be test subjects and they like got whatever information they needed but like why are they keeping them around and why are they allowed to like all hang out and chat together at the cafeteria you know i assume they all were like normal people and they've all become badass assassins because of the memory bleed thing and just happened to all of them 
this character is the most of a real person because he has actual lines, right? But there is this other younger dude who my wife recognized from some other thing. I don't know if you guys knew who that was. I recognized his face. I didn't know who he was. Though. And then there is a like an Asian woman who literally doesn't get a single fucking line. Not one. Nope. Yeah, she got shafted. Like, I couldn't believe they didn't give her one line. I guess she was really good at martial arts and could do her own stunts. I do not want to make a speculation, but I would speculate that if we look her up, she's probably Chinese and somewhat famous in China. And I'm going to guess they put her in this movie specifically so that Assassin's Creed could play in China. Now, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but that's what I was thinking. That's constantly the case in many movies. I think it's a fair assumption. Sorry, Michelle H. Lynn, you didn't get any dialogue, but you do some good fighting in there, so that's good. Well, she was born and raised in Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) She probably talks with a mass accent. She's probably like, oh my God, you're an assassin. (laughs) Another thing that we learn here in this cafeteria scene is like all the other assassins are basically like, don't find the apple. Don't get the apple. Like if they get the apple, then they'll have the power or whatever. And then he goes back to his cell and he fights a ghostly vision of Aguilar in the cell. I imagine, Rodney, you loved this, right? You thought this was super cool. This is oh, this is amazing. This is this is the part (laughs) I'm going to show people. Guys, this movie's so dumb. I was sitting there. I was like, why is he fighting a ghost version of the dude from the past? Like, why would that guy, the ghost version, be appearing in his cell fighting him? It's not a memory. Well, I mean, I think that you could make the argument that he's trying to assert some sort of control over him to make him become the hero he is meant to be. Yeah, I mean, you can say all kinds of fucking nonsense. But, like, if you want to watch Michael Fassbender fight a bunch of holograms and ghosts who never can actually interact with him, man, you're going to love this movie. Well, he then does fight some real people because the guards come into his cell and so he fights a bunch of them. So they drag him back to the Animus and as they're dragging him <laughs> to the Animus, he starts singing the torch ballad Crazy. Oh, God. And we get like Michael Fassbender singing Crazy at the top of his lungs because that was the song he heard when he walked in on his mother's murder. I totally forgot. This is so bad. This is the only fun part of the movie. Because the rest of it's so dour and serious, and I get tonally the movie needs to be that way, but I'm I'm loving how he's just going all out with the song. It's hilarious. I kind of enjoy it, too. I mean, he's digging into it with some real gusto. You got to admit that, Rodney. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, he comes alive for this part. And that's sort of the setup for explaining how the bleeding effect works, because when the guards come in, he's also... Fighting them in the same way. Well, this leads to, I think, the easily best part of the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. He goes back into the Animus, and we are now in a jail where Aguilar, Maria, and like the mentor, I believe is his only name, are being scheduled to be executed in front of the king and queen of Spain. You know, it's this whole big deal. They're let out into this town square and put on these stakes with pyres underneath them, and they're all going to be burned to death. But as the fires start to be lit, uh, Aguilar like jumps up and gets himself loose somehow and gets Maria loose and they run up the side of this building and they 
go through this really great action scene where they're running over rooftops. There's leaping and fighting. People are coming at them with crossbows and chasing them around on the roof and they're fighting them on the roofs. And then they're like running along like ropes with banners on them, just hopping from rope to rope. Whatever's going on here in terms of a mix of real stunts and special effects work, whatever they're doing, it looks really fucking good. Rodney, you always bring up, what scene would I put on of this movie if I was going to show to somebody, this is the scene you would put on. You have to kind of admit, this scene is a, a showstopper. And if you were to pop this on, you're like, hey, you want to see a cool fucking action scene? And you put this on, your friends would probably be like, yeah, that was a fucking cool action scene. I don't entirely agree with you. Really? I think this is the best action scene in the movie. This is the part of the movie that is closest to what the Assassin's Creed video game fans probably wanted. Because, like, running on the ropes, that's a thing you do in the game. They're like, a dude falls into a hay barrel, uh, or hay cart, rather. I think this is the scene where he, where he, where someone does the, the special dive. Am I right, Steve? Um, I believe at the end, that's how they end it. At the end of this sequence, right? Yes, yes. So, and it felt like the video game. And it had a lot of cool parts, but I would certainly not call this, like, a dope action scene that I got to show to people. Why not? Because it just wasn't good enough. It's just like people running on roofs. Like it, it, look, part of it, I'll tell you part of it, which is a general problem with the movie that I know, I feel like this is going to cause some controversy, but this movie needed to be R rated. I think the PG 13 really holds this movie back because it's a movie where like 800 people get stabbed in the throat with hidden daggers. And they're constantly in every action scene having to like cut away from the violence to make it okay. And it really just fucking like, I don't know. It's like a wet blanket over everything. So this action scene that could have been awesome is not really awesome because it's just people like running on roofs and dodging crossbows and shit. And yes, some people die, but it doesn't linger on it long enough for it to be awesome as opposed to something like from the raid that you would watch and go, holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah, but if that's, if you're going to compare everything to the raid, then yeah, okay. Yep. Then, okay, so every movie should be that intense. Look, no, I'll look, I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example. Let's, let's compare it to Resident Evil, right? Resident Evil is an R-rated film. And if you said, show me a dope scene, I would easily fast forward to the part where they, the dude gets trapped in the laser mirror hallway. And I'd be like, tell me this isn't dope. And everyone would watch it and they'd say, you're right. That was dope. In 2002. Yeah. Not anymore. Now it just looks like shitty CG. I mean, yeah, at the time it was cool. You're telling me that like this sequence in Assassin's Creed is so dope. You just sat there. And you're like, how'd they do that, man? How'd they fucking do that? Yeah, it's fun. And you can't tell when it's a CG stunt person or when it's a real stunt. I think it's all practical, and some of it's the stuff where they're going overhead on the wires or the, the structures that go across the street. That's all done on a green screen, but they shot practical, and then they added these um, jumping set pieces on, as a plate or something on top of that. Um, and I thought it was as exciting as any other movie like Black Widow or Born Identity where they're like chasing people across the street. Yeah and jumping across, like, across the rooftops into windows, and they're doing a lot of that here. I think it's a lot of fun, and the music's driving it as well. Yeah, I like the music. It's a good scene. This is a competent action sequence. That's what it is. But it doesn't live up to, like, half the shit that Marvel turns out. Mm, I think it lives up to more than half the shit Marvel turns out. In terms of action sequences, most of Marvel's action sequences are shitty. Like, yeah, Shang-Chi, there's good shit. But, like... 
not in some of the Captain America movies, but like most of their action is garbage. And this is better than that for sure. I'm silently screaming listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a little painful for me too, but we can move on. Look, look, I, I agree. This was the most exciting part of the movie. I was into this part. So this ends with this big scene where they end up on the top of this like unfinished cathedral and they're on this scaffolding and like Aguilar, like he, he does this like swan dive sort of Christ pose downwards, which I believe was in all the trailers, or at least there was something in the trailers that was like it, if not exactly the same thing. This is sort of the signature shot of the movie. I'm assuming this is a signature thing in the game. So it's cool. It looks really cool, but he just basically dives off this tower and then we cut back to the animus. And Cal's having a seizure and they're pulling him out of the seizure. Okay, fine, fine, fine. What the fuck happens to Aguilar? They, they cover it later. It's, it's something he does that happens a couple times where they're jumping off the tops of things. And it's not until the third regression that we actually get it called out as to what it is. And we see what actually happens at the end of it. At this point in the movie, my brain like turned off 20% to save power, right? So I was watching the movie. <laughs> But like, I was just seeing shit happen, right? I remember there was a shot where he like, he's like running on the rooftops and then they jump to a balcony and like roll through a door and like all the guards are coming. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And I like when they're jumping through the air and they do those cool poses and then they throw knives out while they're jumping. That shit's cool, man. Yeah. If you can't cool, enjoy man. that, then you're just dead inside. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that's what I say to people about the Matrix 2 and 3, but it doesn't stop people from arguing with me, all right? I mean, look, it's no burly brawl, but it's pretty good. I'm going to move on. To answer your question, yes, the jump that he does is like a gigantic signature thing in every Assassin's Creed okay, game. Okay, and he survives it because he, what, throws like something down on the ground? No, in every game, you land in a giant pile of hay. You like, or water. Really? Yeah. Is that what it is? The whole thing is like, there, I mean, Steve, you can tell us. what There's like a name for this fall. Sophia calls it out the third time it happens in the third regression, but it's called the leap of faith. The leap right. of faith. And whenever you reach the highest part of a place in the city, it sort of tells you all the other locations or in that area that you can go do missions or whatever. It opens up an area of the map um, for that area that the tallest structure is. And then at the end, you jump off and you're, yeah, it's, most definitely either a um, stack of hay or like a pile of soft stuff. Something breaks your fall, as right. unlikely as that is. Okay. It blew my mind that they cut away before he hit the ground. I was like, wait, we're not going to see him finish the whole fall? Fuck off. Just fuck off. Well, it was confusing <laughs> to me because I thought that Cal was having a seizure because he had died. I thought, like, Aguilar was dead. Look, here is, like, the most obvious piece of screenwriting in, in, in history, right? Michael Fassbender has to do the leap of faith, and he's like, I can't do it, I'm terrified. And by the end of the movie, he doesn't, and it's badass, right? It's like Neo needing to jump between the two buildings, right? And the fact that they not only don't do that, but when they do have the leap of the faith, you don't even get to see it in its completion, sums up this entire movie. It is just a messy fucking stew it's so bad are you mad that it didn't bring you to completion <laughs> yeah it... <laughs> that's what i'm getting at yeah that sounds like you've got some like blue balls or something <laughs> 
how I watch my video game movies is, is my business, all right? Basically, the big next thing that happens is after Cal is brought out of the Animus, he's put in this very nice cross pool for some reason. It's like a cross-shaped pool. Right, the cross pool. You have a problem with the Animus. I have a problem with the cross pool. I don't get this at all. I know. At first, I was like, is, is this is a weird way to drown him, but then they only put him in there for like 10 <laughs> seconds. Like, I guess they're just cleaning him off. It's just... <laughs> The crossbow. It's, um, is it like the tank Luke is in in Empire Strikes Back where it like heals you? Yeah, it's like a back to the tank or it's like, uh, you know, Wanted has that milk bath that they put them in. It's uh, I think it's mostly to um to restart him and he's temporarily paralyzed because of his desyncing process. OK, got it. I think Sophia gives him the entire thing about the assassins versus the Templars. She gives him his mother's necklace. Yes. He says, like, oh, who's going to cure you if you're going to cure me from my violence or whatever? Yeah, he basically turns it on her, like, you uh, you say I'm violent? Well, you're violent. Well, um, and then she's like, no, you're violent. And then, you know, then they fuck. No, they don't <laughs> fuck, but they, they probably should. <laughs> One of the guards is basically, because um he's getting the bleeding effect massively now, it's like, oh, you're, like, you're feeding the beast, you're making him stronger. He's actually developing the fighting skills from being in the animus so much at this point. But dramatically what matters is they give him the mom's medallion and then Jeremy Irons shows up and gives Cal the knife that his father killed his mom with and he brings him to this room where there's all these assassins who have been used up or whatever. <laughs> the and bird eyes, room. The bird room. And their like, eyes are kind of blue. I don't know if they're blind or what, but that's kind of what it looks like, but I don't think they are. And anyway, he gives the knife to Cal and he's like, there's your dad right over there. And so Cal goes over to his father, who is now played by Burleyman Brendan Gleason. He goes to his father and puts the knife to his neck and they have this big moment. And then basically the father explains that his mom was one of the assassins, too. And they had to protect the creed. And we get this flashback and we see what really happened. And when the father was holding the knife to the mother's neck, she took his hand and stabbed herself with it. So really, she was just as responsible for her own death as he was. And it was all to protect the creed because they knew they were coming for them and coming to get Cal or whatever the Templars. I don't know. It's all very vague, but it, it makes sense. Does it? Okay. It makes sense enough. I got it. I got what it was. Okay. They're a family of assassins. The Templars were coming from them and they had to kill the mother for some reason. Joseph Lynch or... Um... Brendan Gleeson tells Cal, like, we took her life because um, we didn't want her memories getting read by this machine. And, like, I was supposed to kill you, too, but I couldn't do it. Right. And that's why, you know, he had told him to run instead. Gotcha. Cal's like, you know, why don't you finish what you couldn't do 30 years ago? And then he's like, it's in your hands now. So, like, his time's over. But he's also, like, telling him not to get the apple. And that's where we get the line, like, it contains the genetic code to free will. <laughs> Right, right. I know at that point, um, Cal's absolutely defiantly rebellious. He says, well, I'm going to get find the apple then. Screw you guys. Yeah, he's basically like, yeah, you don't want me to get the apple? Well, then I'm going to get the apple. How about them apples? <laughs> Cal goes into a room and immediately the guard that's escorting in gets killed by, I think, um, the Asian woman. All the assassins that remember who they were are trying to kill Cal so that he can't reveal the location of the apple. Yeah. At which point, Cal stops them and they all get sent back to their rooms. 
No, that's that's a bad assassins. Back to your rooms. <laughs> <laughs> now Cal um, voluntarily goes into the animus. Yes. Right. That's the big moment dramatically. Now he's going to do it by his own free will. And they're like, oh, he's doing it at his own free will or whatever. And like that guard who we thought was the Black Knight but really wasn't, he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think he's really one of the good assassins or something. I don't know. He's expressing some sort of doubt. He says, like, you know, the assassins were, like, thought as rebels and druggies, but actually they were hiding their true principles, which was to stick to the creed. And he's like, I respect them for that, but, like, you're not one of these people. Yeah, you're not one of the respectable ones or whatever. There's a lot of justification of being an assassin in this movie. Like, no, really, assassins are good. They're good guys. They're It's just they get a bad rap. This whole movie, the dialogue, it feels like it was written by an AI that's, like, still trying to understand English. <laughs> <laughs> like, every single time anyone talked, I heard the words, but I could Like, you're recounting the conversation with Brendan Gleeson, and I'm like... I know I saw that scene because I can picture it, but I had no idea what they talked about. I'm trying to picture every conversation Jeremy Irons says. Who Again, he's in a lot of this movie. And the only conversation I remember him is basically being like, uh, you're my daughter. Like, that's what I remember. And we got to get the apple. I kind of agree with you. There's something about this dialogue that is really hard to sort of follow and yeah it's like it's written by an ai or something you're right thank it's, you it's bad it's all sort of monotone the entire movie yeah. so you're not really getting like heights or lows of emotion yes it's just like one baseline steve you're totally right everyone is just like a monotone character that i think that's the biggest issue here that's not the biggest issue but it's one of the issues <laughs> wow well done I, I wasn't even thinking about that Except when Michael Fassbender sings. Ha, yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. full of emotion. So they go back into the Animus, or Cal goes back into the Animus, and... Willingly. Willingly. And um, in 1492, the Sultan is going to surrender the apple to the Inquisitors because they have the prince, and he can't stand to see his son killed. And so Aguilar and Maria attack with smoke bombs. And so we get this sort of smoke bomb fight. This is where they have the scene where Maria does the sort of like forward hand and backward hand assassination of two people at the same time, yeah. Right, yeah. which is in the trailer. After this fight, I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to see Maria do stuff. Fuck everyone else. Like, was that cool? Yeah, she's got some moves, and she looks good doing it. Yeah, that part was cool. I agree. But Maria doesn't have long to live, unfortunately, because Aguilar gets the apple from the head inquisitor, but the Black Knight warrior guy gets Maria, and he wants to trade her for the apple, but she ain't going to do that because she's all down for the cause. You know, one thing that's been going on between them, their one little bit of character is that they keep having these moments where they're like, for the cause, for the cause, like no matter <laughs> what it is, we're for the creed. Everything is for the cause. Right. At one point she says, um, like, don't shed any tears for me when I'm die. Right. Which is like red flag. She's going to die. <laughs> yeah. So she's being held by this guy, and instead of allowing her to trade for the apple, she takes the guy's blade and sticks it into her own neck. Is that what happens? Yeah, it's the same move that Cal's mom pulled. Okay, because I reground that three fucking times. I thought it was that, but I could not tell. So, but you're, It probably was the case, but it was not telegraphed very well. But Aguilar fights the beefy warrior guy, and so we get this fight, and then he ends up winning because he uses one of Maria's own wrist darts to shoot him. She's kind of dying. She's still alive, though, and she's like, 
says something to him. I forget what some AI written dialogue. I, I don't know. So how with her neck being stabbed, but she says, go. That's when he grabs her wrist gun and shoots the black knight beefy warrior guy. And then he's chased into like these aqueduct type sewers chased through those. He ends up on this bridge and there's these really high bridges that are like over this like chasm where there's a river seemed like a little heightened, like that's probably not a real thing, but it looks cool. I'm sure it's from the game. They've got him trapped on this bridge, but he does the leap of faith, I guess. Right. Is that what he's doing? Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and that's the only point where, um, Sophia says like <gasps> the leap of faith right. and, um, which he's already done at this point, like at least two times. So I don't know why she's screaming now, but this is where he completes it. And you actually see him land into the water. For some reason, I think he throws a knife into the water first. Yeah, that's what I was confused about. Does he have like a magic knife that he like throws at the ground that somehow breaks his fall or whatever? I don't remember any of this, guys. I don't I don't know why. I... It, it happens, but I don't. Maybe it's a stylistic thing. It's not like it's like one of the ten rings or something. Sure. I remember thinking, should I get high before I watch this? And I said, nope, I'm going to watch this one sober so I can talk about it intelligently. And I'm. It's been 24 hours, and I can't remember even the most basic things about this movie. Well, thank you for not getting high, because if you had, you'd probably have nothing to say. You'd be like, <laughs> I don't, what? Was there a Was there a river? Did he, there, there was a river somewhere? Michael Fassbender was in this? <laughs> Who did he play? I'll tell you, uh, a, 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 it's an embarrassing thing about me and a compliment toward the movie, which is, for about half the movie, I didn't really think that, Aguilar was Michael Fassbender. I thought it was a totally different actor. Really? I just couldn't tell, like, because he has, like, tattoos, and he's got the hood and, and like, a beard and a mustache. And I, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I'm surprised they didn't just, like, have Michael Fassbender play the guy in the past. And she's like, that is Michael Fassbender. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I still paused it and stared at him, and I was like, I don't know. I, I know it is, but he looks really different to me. He, I mean, he looks a little different. He's got yeah. a beard, but it's still clearly him he's got more of a tan they've darkened his skin a little this is why i'm not allowed to be an eyewitness at criminal trials anymore the craziest thing that happens after this is so he jumps into this river and we don't really see what transpires but then he makes his way to this ship and they're sort of watching this all through the animus so you're seeing these sort of like ghostly images of what he's looking at and it's like okay he must have swam to a ship fine he goes in the ship and then we see him inside the ship and he's got the apple. The apple is not a real apple just for our listeners. It's a like it looks like some kind of jeweled sphere or something. It's a sphere of some sorts. It's a semi translucent kind of quartz or amber, but there's something on the inside. But like when Torquemada's holding up to the light, it does allow light to pass through the edges. The when the the Animus team looks at the computer-generated model of the area that he's in. They discover that it's um, the port of Cadiz, which is an actual place. It's a real place, Sebastian. Well, and there's also a real person that he's meeting there because we find him giving the apple to the captain of this ship, who is Christopher Columbus, who is going to sail the ocean blue, I guess, with the apple. But then the crazy thing is, shouldn't that mean like he brought the apple to America or whatever? That's what I said. Isn't that where you go with that? But apparently he didn't. First of all, I remember this part crystal clear. I'm very happy to say. 
I had the same thought. I was like, well, doesn't that mean he would take it with him? But but again, my wife pointed out that I think he says like, take this to your grave or whatever. Because like right after this, right, the scientist team are like, we found it. It's in Christopher Columbus's grave. And I'm right. like, you're really, you're banking on the fact that this guy just like was like being literal. Make sure you bury this with me. When I die, make sure you don't take this out of my pocket. <laughs> Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. But yeah, Christopher Columbus is in the movie. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you jumped ahead because that was what was confusing to me. So they figure out that Christopher Columbus took it to his grave, literally. Yes. That's what they figure out. Yep. They found out the location of the apple, mission accomplished. But then at the same time, the assassins cut loose at Abstergo. In the Animus, we see that Cal can see like a bunch of their past selves in regression. I was bummed because I was looking for the Michael K. Williams Musa character. Is he there? I didn't see him. No, he's not related to Cal. Oh, those are all Cal's relatives. It's a direct bloodline from Aguilar to his mother to him. So that's all the assassins in that bloodline. All right. And for some reason during the scene, Sophia sees that she's her own face yes. as one of the um, the past assassins. Right. So she was an assassin at some point. Yes. And, and somewhere up the tree, she's related to the assassins as well as her father being a Templar. Well, unfortunately, at this point in the movie, I feel like this whole climax is bad and sort of falls apart. Oh, seriously. The assassins all cut loose, so they're all fighting. And I mean, it's kind of cool because they team up with Cal and they all grab these weapons out of these displays or whatever, but they're still just in their like boring jammies or whatever that they've been given in the right. And so they're fighting in their jammies, which I'm like, come on, put on some cool costumes. Like this is the part in the superhero movie where you get some cool fucking gear. You get that later at the Templar conference in London. They just have hoods. No, you're not wrong. But I mean, at this point you see Cal, he's fully done the bleed and he has all the killing prowess of Aguilar at this point because sure. he's shooting everyone with the arrow like left and right the young guy that your wife recognized gets killed yeah um, the guy that's called the protector who's in the security room gets killed and all the people that are left are Lynn and then Michael K. Williams character right and about that time Sophia Dr. Riken and um security guard have escaped on a helicopter to go to this conference in London. Yeah, and I have to say that if you, you want to see Michael Fassbender shirtless, this is a good movie for you because he's pretty much shirtless the whole time he's in this lab and when he's in the Animus and everything. Although I think Michael Fassbender is shirtless in a lot of movies, so I don't think it's too hard to find him shirtless, but you get a lot of him shirtless. So if you like Sassy Fassy without a shirt on, this is a movie for you. Also, he's ripped in this movie. Either he did training specifically for this or was coming off of uh, one of the X-Men movies. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. He's in good shape. Now the Templars have the apple and we're at our sort of final scene in this grand Templar hall in London. And Sophia's having a moment with Jeremy Irons with her dad where he basically reveals to her that he never intended to what? Like, I don't really understand what she's feeling betrayed about here. She's like, basically, he's like, I'm just going to use this to kill all the assassins. And she's like, that wasn't the deal. Right. Not only is he going to use it to kill all the assassins, but he's basically going to use it to subjugate all of humanity by removing their free will. And she wanted to use it to cure violent tendencies in people. And he says, like, 
Oh, I always knew you were a scientist first and a Templar second. I never understood that she didn't know that that was what he was planning to do. Yeah. I just didn't track that. It, it, it made no sense. I'm like, you've been fucking working in this lab for like 10 years. You like created the machine to find this thing. Why are you acting like it's a big problem now? Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just want to subjugate everyone's free will. Oh, okay. That's not what I thought we were doing. <laughs> I thought we were, I guess she thought they were curing violence. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's what I understood. The bad guys want to get rid of violence. That's the road they went with. She thought they were all doing something good for the world, whereas the elders had a completely different agenda. Yeah. It's so kind of anticlimactic, though, because Jeremy Irons is just making this big speech about how he's going to subjugate everybody, I guess, and destroy free will. And then the, the apple starts glowing for some reason, because I guess that's now he's going to kill all... What's going to happen? It's because it's one of these Isu ancient society devices. Like, this is where the game part comes out. It's glowing because it's like an ancient mystical artifact and not just a thing with DNA instructions inside. Yeah, okay. he's... Tur- I, I like Even without knowing anything about aliens, I was like, he's turning it on. Like, it's a magic artifact. And he turned it on, and, like, it's beginning to warm up and, like, you know... In 10 minutes, when it's all booted up, he can, like, erase everyone's free will. I got that. Right when this um, conference is starting, Musa, Lin, and uh, Cal have gone in. And so that they avoid the metal detectors because they're covered, they're carrying weapons. Each one has dismantled the assassin's gauntlet. One has swallowed the blade. One has it, like, as a brooch or something. So they're all passing each other in the room, giving... Cal parts of the weapon and putting it together. So at the end, he has the completed weapon and then goes to kill Jeremy Irons' character. Thank you for explaining that because I did not catch that. Now I get it. They're passing around the weapon. I totally didn't catch that. But Steve, thank you. That that makes more sense. But it's still fucking kind of anticlimactic because he just walks up to Jeremy Irons and then slits his throat and then... Grabs the apple and then leaves a real apple in his dead hand. That's fucking it. Sophia finds her father dead. Now she's pissed at them. Like, so they're obviously trying to set up a sequel where she's going to be the villain now. Well, she's like, well, my dad just totally betrayed me, but then an assassin killed him. So (laughs) now I'm going to go after them. And then we see our trio of assassins standing on a rooftop with the apple this is our trio of heroes, I suppose, for the next movie or whatever. That's right. never going to happen. And then Cal sees the eagle and it goes. Rah! No, it doesn't do that. <laughs> I wish it did. And then we cut to black and that is the end of the movie. They're several blocks away, many blocks away from the original building at this point. How do they get there so fucking fast? I mean, look, it's fine. Everything comes to a conclusion but it just feels anticlimactic. It's such a kind of nothing scene. And like their hoods and stuff aren't even that cool. I wanted them to be wearing something cooler. I wanted this just to be more badass. This is the scene where the good guys like have to fight all the Templars and get the apple from the Templar like hive. This should be an action scene. This should be the fucking best action scene of the movie. And instead they're like, what if he just like goes in and slits his throat and then the movie ends? Here's your chance for your big, awesome jumping on rooftops fight 
but with Michael Fassbender in present day doing all the shit he's learned in real life. Yeah. Like, I don't care about your escape from the lab. Like, it's it, okay, whatever. Well, I feel like this was just they're like saving stuff for the sequel, you know, and but they're never going to get a sequel because it didn't do well. Like the Matrix, you go all out. If you get greenlit for a sequel, then you you figure out a way to top yeah, it yes. or you do the same thing over again with a twist. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe they didn't, you know, they just didn't have the budget or whatever, but they needed to come up with something better than this because the whole point of having a really kick-ass scene at the end is that people leave the theater wanting more. They are adrenalized and they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want more of that in a couple of years or whatever. But this doesn't make you feel that. This just makes you feel kind of weird because it's like, Oh, he just snuck up on the guy and then cut his throat and then ran off of the apple. <laughs> like that that's I'm not like pumping my fist in the air. You know what I mean? I get it. Yeah. They're assassins. That's what assassins do. But still, that's not adrenalizing me at all. It's kind of depressing me. I'm honestly kind of on board for a sequel. Like I like this world. I feel like there's potential here to do some pretty cool and interesting things. There's ideas here that I like. I like Michael Fassbender in this role. I like the other actors they have to use again. Unfortunately, Michael K. Williams won't be around because he died, but I see potential in this. So it's a bummer to me that a, they couldn't make me love the characters and B that they end it in this way that I kind of don't care if they ever make another one. Right. Going back to Rodney's um, comparisons to the Matrix, I said at the end of that, like, instead of just, like, leaning off of a building as if he's going to fall, Neo just freaking flies in the air like Superman. You're like, oh, shit, that's crazy. And then it ends. No, yeah, it's not, it's not a great movie. I still enjoyed it. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy to see this series die. Now, uh, the box office for this, the budget was $125 million. Domestically, it made a paltry $54 million, which is very bad. Worldwide, it cleared $240, so it, it's almost in that category of they could maybe justify a sequel at some point, but they don't seem to be trying to at all. Do you know where it made... The, the remainder mostly of that money? Well, most of the time when there's kind of a, you know, $100 million, it's coming from China. Usually. Yeah, I, I don't actually know. I mean, according to Wikipedia, right, it says that the studio lost approximately 75 to $100 million on this. This is a major bomb. This is a major bomb. I guess we don't really have to belabor this point too much of why did it fail. I think it failed, A, because... Video game movies have a bad reputation in general, and people are probably like, no thanks, video game movie, especially around Christmas. B, because the reviews were terrible, which they probably should have been, because this movie is a big mess. Even though I think there are things to enjoy in it, it definitely <laughs> is not the sort of thing that you can say like, hey, you want a like, really satisfying time at the movies? Go see Assassin's Creed. I think you're spot on. There's a certain group of people who are just like, I'm not in because of video games. And then it came out and the reviews were just terrible. And like, we live in a world where like, the internet tells you pretty quickly if the movie's worth your time. Uh, Steve, any other insights to why this failed? Probably what you said. I mean, I don't think this should matter, but maybe don't release a movie that makes the church look bad close to Christmas. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think that's a good point. Maybe this would have been a better 
March release or something. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have done a little bit better if they had dumped it in February when most sort of shitty movies come out. Like, it would have fit in nicely there. Probably could have done maybe, I don't know, another 20 million if it was just a little bit better programmed. What was it up against? It was up against, I think, Passengers. That movie was terrible, too. Yeah, and there was something else. Uh, oh, Sing. It opened against Sing and Passengers. Yeah, so it didn't have any big competition like a Star Wars movie or anything like that. Well, I mean, Passengers, it's definitely a sci-fi movie with two big actors in it. But, like, it's certainly not an action movie like this was, right? If you make a movie for a billion dollars and it makes $500 million, you 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 made, you lost more money than any movie ever, right? So... They spent too much money trying to make this thing. That's the problem. They spent too much. Otherwise, if they had just made it for like 50, 60, they would have made a fuck ton of money. This isn't a special effects heavy movie. I'm not sure where $125 million went. The sequence in the, the second regression with all the extras to recreate that Inquisition scene, all the stunt work involved, shooting in Europe. I could easily see how they spent their money. Yeah, I feel like the money is there. I mean, they only spent $125 million on it, which is pretty low for... A... That's high. That's a lot of money. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean. Avengers movies cost $300 million, $400 million now. For this kind of movie, it's pretty low. And this does have a lot of effects in it. Like, not as much as your average Marvel movie, maybe, but it's still... It's effects heavy. There's lots of stunts. There are special effects. You know, you have these characters that are more or less superheroes doing these superhero-y things. I see where the money went. It's not like I look at this and I'm like, I don't see how they could have possibly spent $125 million. I can see it. It's there. They should have maybe spent less and they should have maybe scaled back a little. But the money is on the screen. I don't think some producer was walking off with... 20 million or whatever yeah i half agree with you like i'm not saying it looks cheap because the movie looks very good i get mostly how they spent it I, I mean i guess it's just a lot of stunt work and so forth but like it's it most of the movie are like just human beings punching each other and jumping around right so i guess it's just a lot of like matte painting and digital effects work for backgrounds and stuff i guess wire work and uh, you know all that kind of stuff Fair enough, fair enough. And like Steve was saying, there's a lot of extras and a lot of scenes and they've, you know, it's period piece for a lot of it. So they're, you know, they have to build the entire sets. I think a lot of the cityscape stuff was all digital and stuff. Yeah, that's that's fair. Costume design. Yeah. They still shouldn't have, they shouldn't have spent that much. And they know that. I agree. They should have found a way to bring the budget down and they would have done better. But they didn't. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go plug into the Animus, track down Christopher Columbus, and take a bite out of the apple that contains the genetic code to free will. <laughs> <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, 
One day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.